You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello and welcome to another edition of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself, Ritvik, the host for the show, and I'm joined by Chris, the co-host of the podcast. Welcome once again, Chris. Thank you very much. Yeah. How are I, you? Fe- how are you feeling after the weekend? Ah, uh, it's been pretty, pretty hard to sleep. You know, I, I don't usually find myself, you know, at this particular end since we, you know, started the podcast. But <laughs> obviously, the time has come. I think the power shift in Mercy side is slowly coming up, right? Yeah, I had a great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really, really good. I don't know why. I don't know why though. There was just a sudden when I woke up Monday morning, I just felt it's one of those feelings when you just realize there is a god <laughs> finally i mean yeah 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 i think this 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 i mean god finally thought that all right so i mean everton's been kind of you know behind the scenes for a long long time let let them have some limelight as well spotlight as well <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's that's the first talking point of this episode Liverpool getting battered by Aston Villa out of no one obviously it wasn't the same Aston Villa we saw last season this season they showed that they've done some amazing recruitment they've improved because they won the first they, they won their first two games as well in convincing fashion Emiliano Martinez, Watkins, Ross Barkley on loan, Matty Cash. They made some really good signings and signings which just definitely improved the team. Emiliano Martinez was arguably one of the best keepers in the league last season once Bernd Leno was injured. He came up and I think that from from the day he started for Arsenal, he was the best keeper in the league and that is without doubt as well. And he is a massive massive signing for Villa. He he's actually made he actually made some really good saves in this game as well. And Matty Cash again, a really good player that they bought. Ollie Watkins from Brentford was amazing, amazing coup. And I think he's going to get a lot of goals. He got a hat trick, yeah. obviously. Could have got a fourth uh, goal as well. Yeah. Are you trying to glorify Aston Villa to make this sound less of a, a humiliation by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably have to you know try to glorify aspect. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I had to I had to sort of like I had to shake my head then because I thought you were talking about Bayern Munich for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously I mean obviously Aston Villa is Aston Villa with Dean Smith, but yeah, they are probably yeah. a little bit more interesting team. Seven two, it's pretty much a humiliation, not a humiliation. I mean, I was actually barking at at uh, the Liverpool players on my screen when we started considering left stand right from the beginning Adrian made that horrible horrible mistake and to everyone listening to the podcast I'm not an Adrian fan I mean as long as he wears the Liverpool shirt and he's on the pitch I'm going to back him but he is not good enough to be a backup keeper for, for forget Liverpool but not anyone in the league I mean he's 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 been really poor last season as well he was poor but we got away we got away and somehow we managed to win the league but it's going to be very hard this season with him in goal because he never looks comfortable on the ball Chris he never looks yeah. comfortable in handling and there was a moment in the game where I don't know who del- who delivered the cross and Oli Watkins hit the bar Adrian yeah. was actually running towards the corner flag. I mean, he completely <laughs> misjudged the ball, and I mean, luckily it did not go in. Otherwise, it would have been, you know, a for, a forever. It would have been a meme out on the internet. My God, I mean, this is the kind <laughs> of kind of performance that makes me, you know, 
go come on yeah this this has to be it this has to be it. so i mean obviously you you said you enjoyed but did you think aston villa completely dominated liverpool tactically over the park no i don't i mean uh, all jokes aside obviously I, i watched i watched the game just as much as everyone else was quite intrigued as to what was going on in front of my eyes because i don't think anyone don't think anyone would have predicted this uh, certainly in the manner in which it happened I don't get me wrong I think we all envisage Liverpool having a tough game just because of the way they not only have started this season but finished last season don't think they're quite the team that we were seeing this time last year but we'll we'll get on to that in a little minute I mean technically it was just I I think we all knew how Aston Villa were going to set up don't think it was any kind of it was kind of any genius work with all due respect Uh, to the manager uh, I just think I think I just can't believe how much Liverpool played into their hands and can and I mean it was notable from about probably from about five to ten minutes into the game what was happening and what Aston Villa were going to do and Liverpool just didn't I mean I'm generally speaking here I don't know if they underestimated Aston Villa from the outset I don't know if maybe the lack of preparation for the season and I know The season's three weeks old and Liverpool come into this in, 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 in fairly good form, having won three out of three. It is three out of three, isn't it? Arsenal, Chelsea and Leeds, who obviously Arsenal and Chelsea yep. respect, and Leeds themselves, all respectable opponents. So I don't think you can knock Liverpool's form coming into the game. But I mean, I think this game represented what could be a bit of a bigger problem in terms of the way they're approaching teams tactically. And what I mean by that, Rick, Rick, is that obviously they played the high the high line got found out in this game. Okay, it got found, and I think it was getting found out after, like I said, around. I think it was fairly notable about 10 minutes into the game. And all the first goal is a goalkeeping error. There's not there's no issue with that. It happens sometimes. Okay, and when you're a team as good as Liverpool, you've got the capacity within the front three alone to, to overcome individual errors like that. So again, that's that that's unlucky. Okay, even though, again, it is becoming a bit of an issue with that keeper, the lack of trust that his defence has in it, and um, a lack of trust that everyone associated with Liverpool, all the fans have with him. It's, again, it, there's no secret there. But yeah. the high line, the high, we'll, we'll, we'll stick about, the, we'll talk about this game. The high line in open play is one thing. Okay, we all know that when a team plays a high line, you've got to press from the front. The midfield have got to press, I don't want to say press only, but It's all got to be cohesive. If the if yep. the front if you're playing with a high line, the front three have to press, and if if the opposition have to then beat that front three, then the midfield have to press. Okay, and then and then it goes it goes in a pattern like that. The front three, obviously Sadio Mane was missing, so he he is very good off the ball. I, I don't I wouldn't go as far as saying he's good off the ball as what he is on the ball. Because on the ball for me, he's world class. And he got, and Diego Jota, as good as he is, he's not he's not Sadio Mane, and I still think he's finding his way into the Liverpool team. Okay, so I mean that was an obvious miss. And when you take him out of the team, okay, maybe you lose a bit of that press and pattern, so to speak. Yeah. But as I've mentioned to yourself, at what point during this game or during the first 10 minutes or the 15 minutes or the 20 minutes, the Liverpool's defence look at each other and go, hold on. The midfield are not doing what they're supposed to do here and we're going to get bypassed continuously. Where was the player responsibility within the team on Sunday? I just didn't see it from minute one. And again, 
Many people can say the manager's got it wrong with the tactics. Maybe that is a case. It is some kind of defensive issue, as been as as shown in the Leeds game. But individually, the players have to take responsibility for Sunday. Okay. I, again, I'm not as much as I sniggered in the second half, and I did do a lot of laughing. <laughs> Forgive me for saying that. <laughs> I'm at a loss to explain it because. Yeah, I've I've watched the game and I've watched a few clips since Sunday to say right, well, this person didn't do this or this person didn't do that or there we go, they, they, that part of the game they didn't close Jack Grealish down. How did they let yeah. Ross Barkley have that much space? But it was just 90 minutes of of like <laughs> just shambolic. pure run, yeah, shambolic all over the pitch, all yeah. over the pitch, midfield. I mean, goalkeeper, defence, midfield, front three. Okay, yeah. and like I said, I've, I've 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 sort of gone over a few things there, where maybe without explaining it in too much detail, because I just wanted to get that point out. But Liverpool, again, I don't know if because of the lack of pre-season that they've had this year, are they not paying enough attention to the opposition? Are they just sort of saying, right, this is how we play. We've proved that we can dom- nominate in the way that we play, and therefore let other teams worry about us. Because surely in that game, they must have looked at Aston Villa's team and thought, right, well, Jack Grealish, okay, he's not world class by any stride, but he's a very, very good footballer. He's their their main player. He's playing sort of wide in a 4-2-3-1, wide left. Okay, why don't we try and isolate them and nullify him? Ross Barkley, again, as I mentioned to yourself off here, Ross Barkley's not picked up any kind of consistent form throughout his career. I mean... Some say that there's issues into maybe of a lack of a decision. Uh, he's not a good decision maker on the field. So yes, yes. I mean, in terms yeah, of football, I've, in terms of football intelligence, like uh, as people say, I don't think he's up there again. But yeah, yeah he, he has some really good qualities. But in terms of football intelligence, yeah, he, I don't I think, think he's up there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's good. To say he's good technically, but yes, again, it's, yes. it's it's all all well and being at a, at a technical scale. But if you don't know when to pass, how to pass, where to run, when to run on a football field, you're going to get found out, especially in the Premier League. Spot on, spot on. Yeah, I, so but at no time did I see him getting closed down. Yes, yes. Apart, I mean, I, apart from there was one significant period when in the first half when he had to run on the defence and it was actually Virgil Van Dijk. They actually had to come out. Did he get the yellow card when he took him out? Yes. yes. Yeah. And again, that again, that lack of understanding when your centre half is having to come out to come out of his uh, out of his line, uh, so it, so to speak, to actually not uh, again to actually meet an oncoming midfielder from the opposition. It's just not something that you're used to seeing when a team plays Liverpool. Um, and and honestly, honestly, because I mean, I mean, I I don't I I didn't rewatch the game because I didn't feel like I mean it mm. was it was horror. Ninety minutes was. In a horror for me because I mean I've been so pissed at Liverpool since that since Sunday. But again in that game what I saw was lack of individual performance. I mean there, there was um, a lot of individual players who were piss poor in the game. Virgil Van Dijk I I hate when people criticize him because I think he's really 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 good one of the best defenders ever in the Premier League. But that game even the deflected goal I mean. Okay, you you probably say that deflected goal. It's, it's deflected, so it's a bit, little bit unlucky. But yeah. he didn't get his body position right initially. And he he was a bit slow to react again to get his body position right because the ball went out. It there was time for him to adjust himself, but he didn't. The ball deflected his uh, on his feet and went in. That 
is definitely his mistake his partner joe gomez he's he's looked actually pretty you know pretty weak since the restart and this particular game again i think one of his poor pass led to aston villa sixth or seventh goal if i'm not wrong sixth i, I feel it was sixth goal which which was yeah. courtesy of joe gomez's poor pass sixth or fifth or seventh i, I don't remember because there was there were so many goals which obviously is hard to remember at this time but yeah. again he had a shocking performance midfield was totally inexistent non-existent i mean the which, only two players the only yeah. two players i felt was contributing something for liverpool was andy robertson on the left flank mosala up up top diego jota was had some really good moments in the yeah, first half yeah hoped them hoped the yes in the second half i think again he faded because obviously the whole team was shambolic sala roberts had tried but other than that shambolic fomino fomino's form has dipped a lot recently and i know we people are very very critical of him recently but i think what he offers to the team is obviously you know it's it's not something that you can expect anyone else to offer a lot but i think tak tak takumi minamino might be seeing that and see, and looking at yang glop and saying boss i, I do you definitely yeah. have to you know consider me now because bobby's dropping form and you know i i'm i'm actually doing or i'm actually having good run of games now in, in the cup competition yeah. so definitely i'm going to have a shout and i do think yeah. that taki deserves a shout for a starting spot now because i mean i'm really really being critical of fomino maybe but i think if this form continues i think minamino might get a good run of games in the starting 11 so yeah. it's not it's not far yeah it will be it will be interesting i mean what he does from now considering that Uh, there'll be a plenty of people looking at it and thinking the international breaks come at the right time. I actually think it's coming at the wrong time for you because you you now have to not dwell on this, but you have to. He hasn't got the players in training until the Thursday, I think it is, before the next game, which is obviously we, as we both know, the main side derby. So it, that that could backfire. in the in the fact that you, you you haven't got a chance to get this out your system and the players haven't got a chance to maybe look at this collectively as to what went wrong how it went wrong and what uh, what what they have to do to rectify that but just going back to the match itself i mean let's give aston villa credit as well like I said they've come into this in good form they've obviously looked at liverpool and thought we know how to hear them uh we've just got to take our opportunity when it comes now normally when you play i think they probably admit themselves that they got a lot more opportunities than what they had planned for because it just because that's basically you're playing the league champions who were by far the best team in the country last year uh, i don't think there's any dispute in that but i was speaking to someone it funny enough the, this afternoon about the game uh, a liverpool fan and he said oh well all they done all they done on sunday was just play the ball in behind the fullbacks well actually he watched a game and watched the clips again it actually does them a little bit of the service that because they did actually play through the midfield as well and and as easy as what liverpool's midfield did make it uh, did make it for them aston villa did they caused liverpool a lot lot they caused liverpool a lot of problems with direct run just simple runs whether it was running on the ball or running in behind the defense now yeah every 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 aston villa attack was a chance literally yeah and i i don't think i've ever seen a team in this country i know again a lot of people might listen to this or whoever listens to it and say oh well, he's an ever fan he's going to get his digs in while he can etc now i can't remember ever seeing a team create so many chances so easily in a football match in the premier league now there, i mean there'll be people out there that be able to brute 
give me stats to show that there has been and I'm sure there's been more shots and more chances in certain other games but not given the disparity between the two teams and given what's been achieved between the two teams in the last 12 months surely not it should have been nine because Ollie Watkins should have scored that goal and Ross Barkley should have scored the one I think it was his first chance after the, after it was 1-0 he should have made it 2-0 uh, so it should have been at least 9 if you if you count those chances but yeah I, I'm, I, I looked at Liverpool's team as well before the game I, I, I actually think that's Liverpool's best midfield I don't know what you think about that I mean again a lot of people say well Jordan Henderson obviously was missing and he's Liverpool's best player but I mean in terms of individually in terms of the amount of talent that those three players have then I actually think that is Liverpool's best midfield okay they might not be in terms of performance the best midfield that Liverpool have got but for me Fabinho Naby Keita and Wijnaldum are actually Liverpool's best midfield for me and to watch them get pulled apart in the way they did and get dominated let's let's not let's forget about uh, John McGinn I'm a big fan of John McGinn I said in the summer I would love Everton to buy buy him because I didn't think Everton's transfers were actually available to get to them Uh, John McGinn and Douglas Louise were were fantastic do you know what I mean they'd done the job well they didn't didn't do anything sort of out of this world because they didn't have to they just got they won the ball and then just played the ball forward and they just broke between the lines and and again speaking about the individual performance individual I think they 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 were all three were poor but in terms of trends I don't think Trent Alexander-Arnold has started the season well at all, has he? I really don't. Uh, and I think this game yeah, was just the just the icing on the cake, really, for him. Because I thought, I thought he was shambolic. I always think people do full-backs, and him in particular, a disservice in relation to their defending ability just because they're so good attacking. When a full-back is generally so good attacking, some people make the wrong assumption that he's bad defensively. Okay, and I always thought last season and maybe last season, the season before when people were talking about Trent and how obviously people are going to focus specifically on his attacking ability because he is Liverpool's most creative player and he, he is one of them. He is a great fullback. There's no, no, no question about that. But people were just quick to nail him for his defensive ability. I always thought that was a little bit harsh. I always thought, well, yeah. are you actually watching him before you see that or are you just making the... the, the the illogical assumption that if you're so good at attacking, you can't be good at defending. But the way it has started this season, for me, has highlighted, again, hopefully for Liverpool and him, it's just form and it's not an ongoing issue, but how poor he has been defensively. And in particular yeah. on, on on Sunday, he was... I was I was actually questioning myself at, at some point in the second half and a little bit in the first half as well, whether he was actually playing right back. Because I was thinking, have they, have they actually changed the formation here without me knowing? Because he was getting caught everywhere. And I thought, that, again, that within itself amazed me. It really did. Again, you've mentioned Gomez. Robinson, Robertson was, again, busy, as he always is. Um, I, I think it's fair to say, OK, he tried, and he probably looked more dangerous than any other Liverpool player other than Salah on the field but again it's it, it's still a bit of an ongoing issue getting in behind Liverpool's fullbacks at the moment were you can I ask you real quick before obviously before we we move on yeah. um, were you surprised that Klopp didn't change this game once it got to four or once it got to five or do you think he generally believed that 
Liverpool will get back into the game. Yeah, I I definitely think Klopp was also probably a bit at fault here. I think I, obviously this is the worst game under Jurgen Klopp. I think probably yeah. one of the, one of Jurgen Klopp's worst game in his managerial career as as a whole as as a whole as well because I think he was not reactive enough. I think when we considered four. He should have probably tweaked things, but he didn't. He always thought that yeah, we might have, we might have a chance. And he he brought in Minamino. He he made some changes, but again, I I mean none helped. None helped. I I don't think like he changed the system as such, which also led to even more and more problems as the game progressed. Yeah. So I mean yeah, obviously it I I think Klopp probably also gets some stick, and I think he he honestly accepted that you know in the post match. Interview as well, saying that yeah, yeah. a lot of problems, not just a team, even on his part. So yes, I I I definitely thought that there was problem on him as well. And I think that I don't want to call it arrogance because that makes me sound like I'm slagging Jurgen Klopp off as a manager. But I think maybe his arrogance in his belief of the players getting back into the game rubbed off on the players because the players just played like they were automatically going to get back in this game at every point. And I think to be fair, even. Even at five, I thought, God, if Liverpool get one, just because you're used to them doing it under Klopp and you're used to this team being so good and so potent in the final third that you are just used to this team getting back into football matches, it's never over. But I think all the tactical hipsters out there will agree with me or anyone who watched the game from a tactical or analysis perspective would tell you that Aston Villa were going to keep getting chances in that game. So therefore, they were always going to keep scoring, especially when the keeper was who he was. I think it's personally just a blip. Okay, I still think Liverpool are too strong uh, not to be considered favourites, and I think I don't think the other teams are, are actually strong enough to challenge them. They might, if you if you want to look into it a little bit too much as a Liverpool fan, you could say that this is that this has been coming since the restart last season, and that Watford, Atletico Madrid have maybe laid some foundations on how to beat. Yeah, I I also thought. Everton, when they played in that first derby, the nil-nil, after the first game, after the restart. Again, it weren't much of a game in that, that day, but Everton had the best chances. And the way we defended against you didn't really allow you to play the way you did. Maybe there's a bit of an ongoing theme here for teams to maybe expose Liverpool. And maybe Klopp might have to look at that and maybe pay a bit more attention to stopping the, the opposition as well. I do think over the course of the season, Liverpool will be... This will they will look back at this as maybe just a blip, as opposed to Manchester United, who I think have got far deeper problems. Yeah, that 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 that's what we are going to come into now. Manchester United as a club, we will discuss this the impact of this result on Manchester United and also touch on Spurs a bit. But as yeah. this the six one result, obviously it was a collective defensive again a defensive disaster class for United. That Anthony Martial incident, which is a patent question from Dieter as well. Probably I'll start there. That red card played a huge part. Obviously, do you think it was a red card for Martial, or do you think even Eric Lamela should have been sent off? No, I don't think Lamela should have been sent off. And yeah, I do think it was a red card. Fair, fair enough. I think <laughs> Lamela made the most out of it. I mean, of the obvious yeah. explanation, I guess, was that Lamela wasn't having direct eye contact with Martial, and he he just flashed his elbow. So it's it was not intentionally. Or it it was like unintentionally intentional, you could say. So that's why he wasn't given a red. He was just given a yellow. As for Martial, he he looked at Lamela. There was contact and there was eye contact and it was an intentional one. And that's why it was a red card. So that was the explanation given by the referee panel. 
So yeah, yeah obviously I've, that 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 makes sense as well. Yeah, I mean. I think obviously when these little incidents happen, I mean, what people have got to remember is that you're not you're not punishing the outcome, you're punishing the action. So whether Lamella made the most of it or not is irrelevant. Okay, yeah, you don't want to see it in sports, but it's always going to happen. It always has done. But you're not pushing, you're not punishing the outcome, you're punishing the the offence. Okay, and the fact is, Marshall knows the rules of the game. You raise your hand towards player's face, you're going to get sent off. You don't have to break someone's nose to be sent off. If you hit them in the face or the facial area, yeah. it's an offence. You don't say, okay, actually, let's look at Lamella. No, you haven't broke a bone today, so therefore it's only a yellow card. If you hit someone in the face, the in, it's the intent that you're punishing, not the outcome. And again, it's easy for me to look at that situation from a neutral and not get angry because obviously it, it's not. If, if it was my own team, I'd be like, guys, look at him. He's gone down like a sack of spuds there. What's he doing? He's making a show of himself. Yeah, he might be. But the fact is, Marshall give him reason to. And he knows that. You know, you know now as a professional footballer, all the cameras, VAR included, you do anything like that, it's going to get punished. And and, and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, there was a little bit of niggle beforehand, a little bit of shoveling in the stomach and a little bit of nudging and things like that. Then and I just don't know what I don't know what he was thinking. And again, I think any Manchester United fan, if you take the red mist away and take the anger out of the fact of Lamella's reaction and, and look at the actual offence, you, you'll know it, it's a red, it's a sending off. The rules of the game are there. If you hit anyone in the face, whether it be a punch, a slap, a flick, a poke, anything, it's a sending off. Okay, we can all sit here all day and discuss on a podcast. Yeah, but hold on, maybe the referee needs to take a bit of responsibility and see whether or he was actually hurt. Well, no, you don't, because where do you draw the line then? <laughs> what you're basically saying is that it's okay to do it as long as you don't hurt someone. You look at United's three games this season, Crystal Palace, they got outperformed. Brighton, they got outperformed, but won with some luck as well towards the end. This yeah. game again against Spurs, completely outclassed by Jose Mourinho. Jose, yeah. I mean, jo- jo- Jose, Jose actually mentioned that you have to call him Jose, not Jose or Jose. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll just, for, for, for Jose's sake, I'll just tell him Jose. He, he actually, <laughs> he, you know, outclassed Solskjaer. And I think the whole blame goes to defense. Harry Maguire, Eric Bailly started. He was pretty, pretty average in the game. Yeah, I think, I mean, I watched this game with. I think, yeah, obviously the sending off has played a part in this, but I actually think Tottenham would have beat Manchester United anyway because I think they're a better team than them all over the pitch. Again, and, and Tottenham could have before the send. I think I, I just, I just look from the minute the, I know the penalty went in and he got, and Manchester United took the early lead. But I think even once the penalty went in, I still thought Tottenham would win this game. And obviously the early goal, the early response helped them out a great deal. And they were fantastic. I think I think Mourinho could not have the last laugh at all as critics because, again, how can I wear this? Because I'm a massive Jose Mourinho fan. I think he's done great in the game and I think it's hard to judge him on what what happened at Manchester United because when you look at them now, you think, Christ, he, done, he didn't actually do that bad of a job. He could have the last laugh at all as critics this season, Jose Mourinho. I don't think he's good enough at the moment back up there with Klopp and Guardiola and... Again, well, even Klopp, and just Klopp on his own at the moment, Guardiola is having his own issues. But And again, I, I want to obviously get to Manchester United in a minute because they're going to be the prominence of the discussion given uh, the nature of the feat for obvious reasons. But I just touch on uh, Mourinho because he's actually got a really, really good team here. And Tottenham are looking very, very good going forward. Uh, I think he's finally addressed 
um, or he certainly appears to have addressed and adapted to transitional play. I think we all know what Jose Mourinho was out about before, not before the Tottenham job, but even when he first took over the job, he was very much, don't want to say parked the bus, but his, his attack and play was very structured and he liked he liked his teams to get behind the ball and he weren't too bothered about his teams being dominant in terms of possession. I think that would be a fair... Would you agree with me on that? That would be a fair yeah, assessment. Def- definitely, about, yeah. definitely. But definitely. Looking at, and like, like, yeah. like Mourinho like says, counter-attack at its best. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what he says, yeah. But his teams, his Chelsea teams, obviously his Manchester United team, his Real Madrid teams, they weren't too quick to counter-attack, though. You, you couldn't say that they, they didn't... They weren't too focused on tra- tra- transitional play. They were the happy defend for 90 minutes. They won the ball back. They weren't exactly quick on the transition going to attack. But it appears that to- Tottenham, or certainly against Southampton anyway, and certainly against Manchester United, maybe it was just because of the way those two teams play. When they're in possession, they try and hurry forward. Jose Mourinho was actually coming to terms with modern-day football, to put it politely, to put it in the best way, because they have been fantastic in transition, Tottenham, against Southampton and against Manchester United in particular. And they have been, and that then that then brings out the best in Son for me. When you're like that, I always said Son had the makings to be a Liverpool player because of the way Liverpool plays. Well, now yeah. he is playing in that type of team, and you're seeing you, you, you're seeing the outcome of it, and it's allowing it's taking the burden off Harry Kane as well, you, and you allowing have to, him to come deep a little bit. Yeah, you have to actually credit Daniel Levy as well because he's back Mourinho. He's given Mourinho yeah. players that he wanted. Harry Kane, he's, he's, he's never been known for being, you know, a creative player. Yes, he used to drop deep even before he used to try to make play, but he never got those numbers. But this season, uh, towards the end of last season, as well, he's, uh, not towards the end of last season, I mean, obviously this season, uh, he's, he's been getting more assists now. Last two games, he's, he's racked up more assists than what Absolutely, he Absolutely, yeah. Last three, three yeah. 2,000 minutes or so. So, it's brilliant work from Harry Kane. Yeah, and Hume I think that Son, as well. Yeah, Hume yeah. Son, again, important. Regulon, on Sergio Regulon, on the signing, he looked brilliant on on, yeah. on Sunday. He had loads of space on the left-hand side. Again, he started with Serge Aurier, or he started with Serge Aurier, and that was very surprising because I I've always thought Serge Aurier was you know weak link there on the right side. I thought United would take advantage of that. They tried, but once the game completely shifted gears in Tottenham's favor, Aurier had his free time. He 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 actually got assist for that fourth goal, Son goal, which was shambolic, shambolic defending. I mean, we talked about Liverpool's defending. My United yeah. actually, you know, comes close again. Yeah, well, I, I just think that, like, like I said, I was mentioning how quick Tottenham seemed to be in, in, tra- in transition in those two games. And you mentioned that, obviously, Mourinho previously was a counter-attack manager. Well, I don't know if I disagree with that all the time because... They weren't, I think, they weren't always willing to counter-attack. Sometimes they would happily not. They would just keep defending until the opposition made a clear and obvious error. And then they would, they, then they would pick up on the mistake and, uh, and crucify it. That was, that would be the best way of describing Mourinho's previous teams as where now, the minute, whether the opposition make a mistake or not, the minute Tottenham win the ball back, they're on the attack. And again, that might change if you would say to play Liverpool. Or they will play Manchester City, but against these teams, they are the transition from defence to attack is so quick, and that's why you're seeing the results with Kane getting more assists and Son 
getting getting more space to run into. And if you add Gail, Gareth Bale into that, then I mean, and they keep him fit, then Tottenham could be a very very dangerous team. And I think yeah, I think you do. I don't know if you want to credit with Mourinho for actually getting Daniel Levy to spend, but yeah, he, he has he has um, gone out and backed Mourinho this summer. So maybe Tottenham's yeah. issue previously was maybe the issue maybe fell on Pochettino a little bit more than what it did on Levy. Maybe that's worth Tottenham fans considering yeah. there. But yeah, we'll go back onto Man United because I don't think they can get away with us not talking about them in this podcast. Yeah. But I, I just we, want to ask you. Yeah, on, I just want to ask you a question on United. I mean, since we're talking about United, I just want to ask you a question. I mean, I obviously spoke about this a lot, a lot of times, so I just I I don't want to repeat the same points. But I want to know your take on United. Especially on this particular question, which is they did not sign the centre back. They sold to Smalling. Yeah, it's fine because Smalling was never part of the plan, and he's not good enough again to play for United anymore. I don't think so. They did not sign a centre back this summer. Don't you think a centre back was priority? Yes, they bought in Alex Telles, left back from Porto, who's who's good. I, I won't say he's really good or exceptional. He is good, but again, I don't know if if he's. I, I don't know how he's going to play in the Premier League. Obviously, I I, I don't want to come in and, unless I see in a few games from him. They did not sign a proper right winger. They did not sign a yeah. centre back. They did not sign a defensive midfield. They signed Van de Beek. He's not a defensive midfielder. They did not sign a defensive midfielder. Three areas of the pitch which was particularly important for Manchester United to take that step, the next step from the third place achievement last season. They did yeah. not make. I think centre back was important. Do you think that's going to cost them massively this season? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mentioned on one of our previous shows that I can't see this team qualifying for the top four. And I, again. There's a lot of emphasis, and we've spoke about it ourselves on other shows that are on the board, and rightfully so. They they've got a clear issue at a sport and director level on who they are going to get, how they're getting these players in, and why the players are getting identified. But I think, uh, sorry, not why the players are getting identified, but why aren't they getting the players in and the players that they're going after? Why are they going after those players because of the positions that they're playing? But I think as well, it needs to be worth knowing. And I mentioned this uh, when we was on our WhatsApp group the other day. Is I can't understand why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is getting more, getting scrutinised as much as just as much as the board, because when you haven't got a sporting director in place, okay, and you've just got a chief executive in Ed Woodward, who obviously we know his issues and we know the criticism because we've given it to him ourselves uh, and what his flaws are. But when you haven't got a sporting director director in place then surely it's the manager's job to say I want a centre half I want a left back that that surely that that is the manager's job isn't it do you know what I mean I don't and yes yes so I mean is Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer actually got saying to Ed, Ed Woodward uh, why are you going after Jaden Sancho when it's quite clear we've got issues at centre back we, we've got an issue up front now again we'll focus on the signings in a minute uh, or the deadline signings in a minute but for me I'm looking at United tactically and I just don't know what they bring. Okay, I think they've relied heavily on Bruno Fernandes since he joined the club and they've maybe got out, that was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's get out of jail, get, get out of jail free card last season for me because obviously yeah. he, cha- he changed the way teams played against them because of Bruno Fernandes. He's not going to win every football match for you. Again, what are they? What are Manchester United? Are they an attacking team? Are they a defensive team? Well, I hope they're not a defensive team because it's worse than shambolic if they're actually trying to play defensive and that's the outcome. <laughs> but again, there's no sort of, there's no passage of play. I don't see them 
I don't say I don't see I don't look at Manchester United and say right they attack down down the flanks and they look to get balls in the box. It just doesn't seem to be any cohesive identity in terms of the way they play. And then and then you add the signings on top of that. And I look at I look, Van, I look at Van der Beek for for example. I think he was fantastic at Ajax. Possibly could could have moved on earlier. I'm surprised no one snapped him up earlier. But then I look at and people will look at his individual talent and say it's a great signing. But if you actually look at it tactically and the way the team's set up, it couldn't be a worse signing because where is he playing? He plays in Bruno Fernandes' position. Now, they're not going to drop Bruno Fernandes. So what are they hoping Van der Beek is going to play? And, and again, I'm looking at the way Solskjaer is setting up in a 4-2-3-1 here. Van der Beek's not going to play as a pivot with Pogba. And surely, given how basically how much they want Paul Pogba to stay... Paul Bogger is going to be the prominent starter. They have to play Matic alongside him just because of his defensive frailties as a player or or lack of capabilities defensively as a player. So where does Van der Beek set, uh, come into that as a, as a squad player? I, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I, again, I, I think Manchester United should should be thinking to improve the first eleven before they start buying squad players. The whole of Twitter could have said, or the whole of the fo- football world could have said, Borussia Dortmund will not sa- sell Sancho after after the, the deadline, which was the 10th of August. Yet Man United still seem to just keep getting linked to them and kept asking the question and kept probing. Maybe it's because they just thought because they're Manchester United and they will give in eventually. Well, unfortunately, their their popularity or their dominance off the field and world football has clearly been downgraded because they haven't got that pull and power anymore. Edison Cavani, for me, hasn't played football since February. Obviously, hasn't trained with first-team players since February, I think. Has been a free agent since the end of June, I think. So... If that was a thought-out transfer, why wasn't he brought in straight away? Ben, again, ben, it's, all, it's all a benefit. Yeah, it's all it's a just, benefit. It's just a mess. And again, I, I, look, I look at Solskjaer and I, I, I think back to the amount of criticism that ex-players like Gary Neville and Paul Scholes and Rio Ferdinand and, Ev- and any any player that group give Louis van Gaal. And I, I'm looking at the... Um, um, Solskjaer is getting protected by these players at the minute because no one is willing to say a bad word about him. And the bad word should be he is not capable of doing this job. He has not got. He, he hasn't got. He hasn't shown anything yet for me. He's shown runs of form, okay, but most managers show a run of form throughout the season. He hasn't shown that he can stop a bad a bad run of form, which is always an issue for managers. Because I always feel the top managers, when their teams get beat, they only get beat for one, maybe two games, and then they turn it around because they know how to turn it around. But Solskjaer doesn't know at the minute. He doesn't know, for me, how to beat the opposition. People go, well, he beat Brighton. Well, again, I think any kind of football player watch that game Brighton shot themselves on the foot with the chances that they missed in that game so there's massive issues at Manchester United again I don't see them getting a top four place I'd be surprised if he's still in a job come the end of the season given the fact that they are a Champions League club now and they may be more appealing we know about the off-board mm. off-the-field issues but for me yeah. on the pitch on the pitch they are just as bad on the pitch as what they are off the pitch and I just think Again, I, I, one more thing. Sorry, Rific. I know, I know, we're going overboard. We're going over time here. But I, I did notice one little thing at the end of the game, which 
I don't know if anyone else noticed this, and I don't know if anyone who, if anyone listens to it wants to throws a tweet out just to say that they did notice this. But we we know, we all know that Manchester United have been beat by big scores in the past. They got beat by six one by Manchester City under Ferguson. They got beat five 0 by Newcastle under Alex Ferguson. I think that was followed by six three defeat by Southampton. If if my memory saves me right, but at the end of the game. Thing, Alex Ferguson would just go over, shake the opposition's hand, as would Jose Mourinho, as would Louis van Gaal, as would David Moyes. If they suffered any kind of defeat, humiliating defeat, or a defeat where you would expect them to win, they shake the manager's hand and then they steam off towards the Stretford end and into the tunnel. Okay, Solskjaer on Sunday went over, shook Mourinho's hand, and then walked onto the pitch and shook all the Tottenham players' hands as well as his own teams. And I just, I was I was sort of bewildered by it. I, I was thinking, what's he doing? Okay, he's, he's going over to the referee, maybe to have a little bit of a word, but he didn't spend too much time with the referee. But he was shaking all the Tottenham's players' hands as if he was congratulating them. And I was thinking, your team has just been embarrassed by a team that some people are saying are, are, are not good enough to finish in the top four. Obviously, that is clear, that's clearly wrong and they are good enough and they, I, I think they actually will Tottenham but you, you're playing at Old Trafford you've just been embarrassed the first thing I would have been done is sh- shut Mourinho's hands and then I would have been down that pitch to give the players a rollick and I wouldn't have been walking on the pitch to shake the opposition's hands or I wouldn't be to shake my own players' hands I mean what what, what, what was his I, if you didn't watch it just watch it again if you can honestly it was pretty embarrassing and I'm not even a Manchester United fan. I thought, what is he doing? And I don't, I don't get me wrong. I know his association with the club, and as a player, he was fantastic, and he was a great ambassador, and he was involved in some pivotal moments, some of the greatest moments in the club's history as a player. But come on, I've, some of the managers that this club have had in Mourinho and Van Gaal, for me, he's not getting scrutinised enough. He's not. He's, there's clear, there's clear, there's clear limitations within his capability of doing that role, and. I just don't, there's plenty of managers out there, high profile or not, who are more capable than him. And I just, I'm curious to see where this goes now, really am. Yeah, and and even Paul Pogba, I just want to touch on Paul Pogba as well. He's looked out of, out of place in all the three league games that they played United this season. I know he got COVID, he was ill. Yeah. If he was ill, he's not fit. You can't play him. You you just can't play him. If the soul sharp. If you're all on a Solskjaer and you see performances like that from Paul Pogba in the last two games against Brighton, against Palace, the first thing you say is, how can I start him the next game? He doesn't look fit. One, he doesn't look fit. Two, his performances weren't good enough. It just weren't good enough in the first two games, first two league games specifically. He started against Tottenham. He gave away a cheap penalty, which he should never have. He got caught out multiple times in the pitch. He couldn't actually play his attacking style game because he's playing from deep. Yeah, he's expected to be that, you know, connector, be that attacking threat, lying deep, kind of a deep line playmaker, kind of a deep line playmaker. He didn't do that. He couldn't do anything at all against Spurs. I don't think he was... I mean, we've been tra- we've been seeing different managers in different seasons trying to unlock Pogba. We've been hearing about the term unlock Paul Pogba. I actually like Paul Pogba. I actually like the Paul Pogba I see play for France, for Didier Deschamps France. But the Paul Pogba who plays for Manchester United is not good enough. I mean, obviously yeah. we all obviously we all know how good he is. I mean, he's got into the team of the season 
twice if i'm not wrong he had an early wow. bounce yeah he he had <laughs> an early bounce he had an early bounce under solskjaer when he took over in january and from mourinho he had a good bounce he had a good spell i think that was probably his best season ever 13 goals if i'm not wrong uh, 20 goals plus as 20 plus goals plus plus assists i think most of them were penalties but still that is good number that's a good number but again has he performed the way he could have or has he performed to his potential no where close is my answer i i don't think he has been anywhere near good enough for his 89 million price tag that united paid i don't <laughs> no. think he he is ever he's is definitely i don't think he's ever going to become the player he was expected to while he was at juventus definitely he's not going to become that that kind of player at manchester united i don't see him interested at times i don't see him performing at times i don't know if it's a manager issue i don't know if it's a, a player if it's if it's him being you know disinterested i don't think he's being disinterested i think he's pretty professional as a footballer most pundits i don't i think slander him off pretty much unfairly uh, especially graeme sones uh, but uh, i i don't <laughs> think he is good enough at times most of the times and this season he started off poorly and i think these are games where you could have tried to bring in donny van de beek and given him some minutes especially against brighton well, and palace and some extra minutes in even against i mean bruno the, the solskjaer took off bruno fernandes after 45 Yes, was yeah. the damage control? Yes, but Bruno Fernandes is their best player. You took that player off, and there was there were rumors of you know a burst up in 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 the halftime dressing room where Bruno actually got got at Harry Maguire. I don't know if it's true or if it's fake, but yeah. if it's if it's true, I I don't think like. I I don't I don't think it's bad because that that particularly shows that Bruno wants to win. It's it's kind of a winning well, yeah. mentality. Yeah, shows that he cares. And let's show you like again, Sean is going to talk today, but who wouldn't be having a go at him in that situation? Because that is one of the weirdest pieces of defending I've ever seen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Manchester United, even with the signings of Cavani, Pelestri, uh, they've signed Dalotria, Traore from Atlanta, who's who's not had much senior football. I don't think he's had any senior minutes, if I'm not wrong. They no, paid 30 million no. for him for 30 million for a player who's going to join in January. Yeah. That actually shows the kind of incompetence at the board level. What you see on the pitch is incompetence with the manager. I don't think the play all the players are completely incompetent. You have good players like Bruno Pogba is again a top player. I know he's not performing, but again he is. To be fair, he's a top player, but nowhere performing near the level he should be. Mason Greenwood is a very talented youngster. We've seen him. I think he pro- he he definitely would you know do well. with a better manager Anthony Martial I mean I have mixed opinion on Martial but Rashford again is really good he's improved his overall football game as well overall play as well not yeah. just the attacking instincts but is this the right manager for Manchester United is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the right manager for United I don't no. think so I I mean yeah. I've never Absolutely I've never not. thought so I've never thought so and I've actually argued with United fans giving my justifications I know a lot of them would slander me of all this a lot of them would disagree but As a Liverpool fan, yeah, I, I, and I'll be more than happy if you go with Solskjaer for as long as possible. But honestly speaking, I think United need a better manager. Most importantly, United need proper sporting director, a proper plan in place, and that I don't see it happening anytime soon. So that's that's that yeah. with Manchester United. And moving yeah, on from Manchester United to our final. talking point which is the Lazio Inter game in the Serie A it was a feisty game it was a feisty fury game where we saw two red cards it was a very well balanced game i would say 
both teams Lazio as well as Inter had good amounts of you know momentum in both the halves going by the match summary i mean the score was 1-1 if you look at the expected goals Lazio had 1.21 Inter had 0.72 but that doesn't actually speak the whole story i think it was much more balanced than the xg shows Inter actually the first goal that Inter scored i mean you could say that Lazio could have defended better but again it was a lucky deflection which Perisic was controlling the ball and the lucky lucky you know deflection from a Lazio player brought it into the path of Lotaro Martinez who took it in easily so yeah. yeah you you could say i mean he was marginally onside there he was being played by the full back left full back but you can't really blame Lazio defense for that but Lazio had three substitutes three injuries in the first half Radu Marusic and Bastos who all all three Bastos actually came in as a substitute for Radu yeah. and he actually went off injured so that was a big blow for them i think for the first first 30 minutes you saw both i i think it was more of lazio who who, who had a good good spell but then even after inter scored it was all inter i think they had better uh, control of the game but in the second half for the milinkovic savic goal that was a good yeah. cross from macerbi you look at the way inter conceded milinkovic savic was free he was running directly into the box without any pressure without any marker he was competing with perisic in the air i mean there's only one winner on in the air if you if you if you, uh, if you put up sms and perisic it's sms and he scored he scored the goal and yeah after that yes lazio had a good spell of dominate dom, dom, dominant you know the, there was a 10, 10 to 12 minutes of dominance from lazio where they had good chances i think the best chance fell to hockey in korea lazio in the whole game which he yeah. did not convert i think he should have converted that that was the biggest chance of the game which they did not convert and even marcel brozovic got a lucky wicket deflection towards the end which hit the bar came out and I mean, if that had gone in, it would have been, you know, a little bit unfair. I think draw was a fair result, but again, both teams could have won the game. And the most, you know, controversial incident would have been both the red cards. I mean, Ciro Immobile was down, fouled by Vidal. Vidal just went and poked him, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pushed him or, you know, provoked him. And the the reaction from Immobile was not good. Yes, yeah. Vidal, Vidal overreacted, made the most out of it. got immobile sent off i think once immobile got sent off inter slowly again creep back into the game inter had yeah. some good spells but again for the even for the sensi red card even at the end kilpatrick was it who who made the most out of it and again got sensi sent off with the second yellow so both both those red cards was questionable because the made the most out by the opposition players but chris as looking at this game as a whole i mean lazio haven't seen started the season so well but inter have i mean did you see the game go uh, ending up in a draw or did you think or what was your yeah. thoughts on the game yeah it kind of had that feeling about it when i was watching it obviously i think it, given the formations and the way they both tactically set up the the teams they, they, they both tend to play counter attack on football uh, both play 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 uh, depending on which way you want to look at it and i went to milan i see uh, in this game seems to have a bit more of a tackle threat than Lazio did um especially when they went through their periods of dominating throughout the game it it, it seems to go back and forth seems to be like Lazio have a good 10 minutes into the line have a good 10 minutes and then right and then it would sort of go like that throughout the game from what it, from what I've seen I mean it was quite fractious wasn't it the game itself it was quite I don't think there was any love loss 
between the two teams but I think Inter Milan might be disappointed given given the fact that they had a man extra up until the 86th minute and the fact that they scored they scored five against Benevento and scored four against Fiorentina but I think it must it needs to be highlighted as well obviously because they conceded two against Benevento as well and three against Fiorentina so it's not something you traditionally associate with Antonio Conte's team uh, conceding that amount of goals against those especially in two games so I think they might look at this inter and think of this as a missed opportunity especially when you consider Lazio's form now I think Lazio may have a bit of a deeper problem over the course of the season still think Inter Milan will be the closest team to take the title off Juventus this year and I still think they will that will be my predi- uh, prediction for the Serie A title this year to finish at Inter Milan or end up at Inter Milan sorry but I think Lazio took apart by Atalanta I think it's yeah. fair to say uh, in the last game again okay they, 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 they beat Calgary uh, in the game before that but I feel a bit sorry for Lazio because for me if the pandemic didn't happen last season I think they would have won the league uh, I really do I think they didn't have European football like the other teams did and their squad or their first 11 and maybe the two, three players outside of the first 11, say the 14 players, were good enough to cope with football with one match a week, which they were having. And I think the form pre-pandemic showed that. Obviously, they lost away after the restart because they were playing games every three days and their squad just didn't win big enough compared to, say, Inter Milan. And, and Juventus's last season and I think they fell short because of that reason but I actually think that could be the end this could be the end of the road for their team as uh, they've been quite fortunate over the years to keep Milinkovic Savic uh, and Immobile is, is, for me is a fantastic striker can, can he repeat the form that he repeated last year I, I'm not so sure Simone Inzaghi I do rate as a coach I think he's Italy's next best thing I think so. he's done a wonderful job there, but it'd be really interesting to see if they can, if he can get the best out of this squad of players again. I know there's been a few additions throughout the summer, but I thought, I thought not so much this game. I thought against Atalanta, their frailty showed, and I thought they are now. They've got European football as well this year. Let's not forget they're in the Champions League, and who knows how far they'll go in that. But I don't know if their squad is capable of handling both. And I think I think they've been quite inconsistent in terms of the performance at the start of the season. I think it showed throughout this match as well. I don't know if there's a lack of confidence from that Atalanta game or not, but or any kind of hangover from that game. I think they were outclassed by Atalanta. I really do. And I think you know my thoughts on Atalanta and my admiration for them as a team, uh, and they will yeah. do that to most. They will do that to most teams this season, and I do think they'll do. It'll be very interesting given the Champions League group what happens in that as well. But as you thought Lazio showed in this game, they were good. Like I said, they weren't consistent throughout the game. I thought they showed. There was opportunity. Obviously, maybe they were put off by the sending off, uh, by the, the the injuries. Again, wouldn't have helped. The substitutions wouldn't have helped. Uh, they they don't look they don't look like they're fully in rhythm yet. They haven't got going yet for me. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens over the season. And that's why I think Inter Milan will be disappointed that they've only took a point from Lazio in this game, especially given the fact that they were they did have for the last for for the best part of 20-25 minutes they did have more players on the pitch, and the fact that 
Lazio had to accustom the injuries and the substitutions in the first half that Inter didn't take the initiative and go on and win the game. Yeah, overall, it was a very Italian game. I will, that's my summary of that game. Very Italian. Yeah, and an individual performance as well. Luis Alberto for me was Luis Alberto was probably, for me, the best player out on the pitch. Also, Barella. Barella was also really good for Inter. Luis yeah. Alberto for Lazio, but... Lukaku kind of disappointed again. I mean, I, I thought he would actually go on and carry the form and carry the form that he had before yeah. previously. And but he he kind of underperformed in this game, lost most of his aerial duels as well. So yes, it's 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 a mixed season, mixed start for Lazio, who's kind of underperforming in their both expected goals for and expected goals against. I know it's just three games, which is a small sample size. Obviously, the expected goals model. You know, it works well when you have you yeah. know large data or large space, sample space. Yeah. But but yeah, I think it's it's been like you know a mixed start for Lazio. As for Inter, yeah. I I do agree with your assessment that they're going to be our top top challengers for Juve again and might actually nick the title this season. Maybe we might see yeah. Inter win win the Serie A or the you know, Calcio this season. I think we will. I think we will. I think some of the, the antics within the summer from Antonio Conte were actually maybe a distraction as to there was an opportunity for them last season to do it and they didn't yeah. take it. Uh, and I think you you mentioned there before we end the show, you mentioned Luis Alberto. For me, how has a top team not picked this fella up? Because for me, he's been one of the most underrated players in Europe for the last 18 months. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I would, I would even stretch. I would even stretch that 18 months to 20, 20, uh, 24 yeah. you know, to 30 months. It's, it's, it's yeah. uh, he's been that good. Well, yeah, maybe since Simone Inzaghi's just took over the club, really, and they've, I, I wouldn't say they've overachieved every year, but they've done something of some kind of significance every year. Lazio since Inzaghi's been there, and he's been at the forefront of it. I know Milinkovic Savic seems to get the main attraction from the bigger clubs. But for me, Alberto himself has been fantastic. I mean, what kind of club would sell him? That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, not to forget that he, he was formerly a Liverpool player and well, then he was flopped. That was my quiet dig at Liverpool. Eh? If you had a player like that, why would you sell him? But yeah, that's yeah. what I was going towards. Eh? Only, only a club daft enough to sell him. <laughs> A great, great, a great week for you indeed with all the banters and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that that brings us to the end of this podcast. We will probably have more podcast, a couple of podcasts if possible next week, a bonus one. So thank you so much again to all the listeners for tuning into this episode. We did not plan to stretch this podcast this long, but yeah, this is football and we just go on talking football. So yeah, that's what happens. So yeah. thank you once again, Chris. Glad speaking to you once again until the next yeah. episode bye bye as always mate speak soon bye